0: Coming to you from Beaumont, this is your house call. It was about five years ago that I had a group of friends that I was um, spending some time with that tried to recruit me to give indoor soccer a chance. I won't presume that you, dear listener, uh, know everything that there is to know about uh, the ins and outs of indoor soccer. Um, I'll try to broadly sum it up for you the best I can. So... It's soccer or football, depending on which continent you live on. It's played um, indoor, obviously, on a very large, usually artificial turf surface. Um, it's faster than regular soccer. It's really kind of a hybrid of, of hockey and soccer. And it's arguably one of the most vicious sports that I can think of. So I'm playing defense, and um, the ball comes whizzing in my direction, and i um, there's another player that's roughly the same distance from the ball as I am, and this is what we call in soccer the dreaded 50-50 ball. And anybody that knows soccer knows that that's usually where most bad injuries start is the dreaded 50-50 ball. So, we both make contact with the ball kicking it at exactly the same moment and and something crazy happens. The ball goes absolutely nowhere, but all of the Uh, Newtonian physics uh, is suddenly directed right into my ankle. And my ankle goes in a direction that uh, I don't think it was biologically engineered to go. And so I crash in a heap on the turf and I'm I'm experiencing a feeling that at this point I can only describe as uh, what it would be like to step in a bear trap. And, And my initial reaction to this is, pure self-deprecation why the heck am i a a mid-30s guy playing indoor soccer for the first time the next string of questions though i think is is where i want to go with today's conversation it was a, a a cluster of questions that in hindsight may have been a little bit irrational but appropriate nonetheless questions like okay i've done this Should I go to the hospital? Should I go to the emergency room? Should I go to urgent care? Should I ice it and just wait it out for a few days and see where it goes? Should I take my shoe off? Should I leave my shoe on? Am I going to need surgery, x-rays? All these things start flooding into my mind. Our focus today is going to be on sports medicine, and we're going to talk about a whole bunch of different topics, including managing injuries like uh, what I just mentioned in my last story. Hello and welcome to the Beaumont House Call Podcast. I'm Dr. Nick Gilpin, and I'm here to help you and your family live a smarter, healthier life. My guest today is Dr. Sharif Bishay. Sharif, thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. Sharif, you're an orthopedic surgeon and you're a sports medicine doc. Um, Could you take a minute or two and just kind of
1: walk us through the ins and outs of that and tell us how you landed in your current profession? All right. So sports medicine, so obviously it's the medicine revolving around what people like to do for fun. It doesn't necessarily have to be sports, but activities that they enjoy. It has to do more from the standpoint in orthopedics of more of a ligament type doctor, not a a bone trauma doctor. So I'm going to see more of the types of injuries such as rotator cuffs, knee injuries of the soft tissue, your ankle injury that you discussed in the opening. And so when I see those types of things, those are the types of patients that I'm going to see, and their goals are to get back to their normal lifestyle. I'm not seeing somebody at the end of life that needs a joint replacement or Later in life that needs a joint replacement, I'm looking at the person that is younger, active, or even older and active, but the key, active. Okay. And with that, my goal is to get them back to doing the things that they enjoy. Sure. And so how I got here is very similar to how you described your story. I was in my mid-teens, and I injured my knee. And I had a really great relationship with my orthopedic surgeon, and he was a sports medicine doc, and the rest is history. Okay. So my goal was to... Pay it forward and do the same. I understand that not all sports
0: medicine is created equal. I understand that many sports medicine doctors are fall in the orthopedic surgery umbrella. There's some sports medicine doctors that fall in the uh, more maybe primary care or family practice umbrella.
1: Could you talk a little bit about if there's a difference? Sure. I mean, they're both necessary for getting these people back to their normal activities. The sports medicine orthopedic surgeon, like myself can do it where we see the patients in the clinic. If that patient needs casting or anything like that that is still non-operative, we can handle that. At the same time, though, when it's time for surgical intervention, that's where we also can continue with that care of that patient. Okay. The sports medicine primary care physician is very similar, but is non-operative. Right. It stops and, when the surgery starts becoming the conversation. And right. oftentimes then referred to us. I,
0: I'm aware personally, uh, and from talking to patients and family and friends, that there's a lot of misinformed people out there when it comes to managing sports injuries. I think I'm probably one of them. So I want to use my, um, my little story that I told in the beginning as sort of a launching point and say, okay, here I am, I'm, I'm a, a you know, Joe weekend warrior, and I just went out and I just blew my ankle or I just tweaked my knee. What do I do now? What's, what are
1: my first steps? What are some things that I need to keep my eyes on? Well, I think the most important thing is Anytime you injure yourself, you're probably going to have some swelling. So first, try to keep that swelling down. So we like to use the mnemonic RICE. RICE, yep. All right, so rest, ice, compression, elevation. So stop doing what you're doing that's causing it pain. So next, let's ice it. Let's give it some compression and then elevate it to help gravity take some of that swelling away. Okay. If you're finding that that's not helping, medication isn't helping with your pain, can't weight bear, can't do normal activities without pain that's debilitating, I think it's getting beyond that initial RICE technique and possibly need to see somebody at that point. So I want to I want to
0: key in cuz you mentioned ice and and that's I want to be very clear about this to people that are listening. Ice is really better for the new onset injury, whether it's a ligament, a tendon, a muscle. If it's acute, we should be putting ice on it. I agree. Okay,
1: fair. When is heat going to come into play? So it's the, just like when we're playing sports, you warm up and you cool down. So if you're trying to do something where you're going to go be active, heat is going to be helpful. It's going to loosen up the muscle, draw blood to it and allow you to get out there and, and be active. That's why you see the trainers on the sidelines doing rub downs for patients before a game. They're trying to get that muscle firing and that heat will help. Now, after that, what we're trying to do is calm the muscle down or calm down the joint. And how do you do that? Ice, because that's an anti-inflammatory. So it's going to bring down the swelling.
0: Okay. Okay, that makes good sense.
1: Medications that can also help with inflammation. Can we talk about that for a second? Sure. So So I think anti-inflammatories are very helpful. I I use them for almost every patient of mine. I think we need to obviously be careful and stay in contact with the primary care physicians and understand what their kidney and liver functions are. And if they have other heart conditions, sometimes that might not be the best choice for them. But if they can take it, I think it's a great first line of defense to keep the swelling down. It does work for some pain relief without putting a patient on a pain pill. And so I think it is helpful for those people. So if I'm a runner or a
0: hockey player or or whatever, I should probably have a bottle of ibuprofen sitting in my medicine cabinet, that'd probably be a good move. Or would Tylenol be better, or does it really make a difference?
1: You know, Tylenol does have some anti-inflammatory qualities, but a true anti-inflammatory, like a Motrin or a Leave or Naprosyn or any of these other ones, would probably be helpful as well. I'm going to give you a sort of a chapter two
0: of the story that I told earlier, and that is that um, when I did this to my ankle, Um, for better or worse, I, I didn't really do anything about it. I I decided that I was a a tough guy and I was going to just ice it at home and take some ibuprofen and, and I was going to limp around for a a long time. And and that's exactly what I did. So uh, tell people like me, what are some red flags? When should I, when is it okay to tough it out or play through the pain versus when do I need to get my butt to a doctor?
1: So that's a great question. I get that quite a bit from my patients because many times they show up three, four, five weeks, months, years later, and you just ask them, like, what were you thinking at this time? And it's kind of funny to get some of the answers, but I think the easiest way to look at it is if it's not getting better and it's getting worse, that's a true red flag. Okay. If you can't weight bear or can't move it without significant or excruciating pain, Another red flag. Okay. And I think once you start recognizing that if it's not getting better and you've tried the simple stuff, get an x ray. Sure. And come see us. I mean, see somebody.
0: So uh, that, uh, that, segues nicely into the next question which is if I go to the doctor so here you know here I am again Joe weekend warrior I I I like to play through the pain I don't like to go see the doctor if I do finally decide you know something's clearly not right I got to go to the doctor what am I in for what exactly am I looking at here
1: x-rays MRIs where are we going with this so I think the simplest start is a good history you tell me your story I'm listening And I want to understand what's going on because in many cases, I can make my diagnosis just from listening to the patient because there's only so many things that you can do to certain things. Sure. And so if I listen, then the next thing will be, do I need x-rays, do I not need x-rays? And so those would be the types of things that I make a decision on it at that time. Most likely, yes. If you've been injured, I want to see, is there a fracture? Now, if I'm a sports medicine doctor, most often the things I see are going to be soft tissue, so in a knee, a meniscus, the ligament, in a shoulder, the rotator cuff, the labrum. And so those are going to need an MRI. Okay. But if I can make a diagnosis without the MRI and say I need to start in therapy, put you on an anti-inflammatory, maybe weight restrictions on it, then we'll start there. And if you're not getting better when you've come up for your follow-up, then we do you know, further testing. So in general, x-ray is a pretty good first imaging choice
0: because it's going to give you sort of the lay of the land as far as bone architecture. It's not going to show you the soft tissue in as much detail. For anything that's soft tissue, that's when you start jumping into
1: MRIs. There and are that some sort of. times that you'll see a ligamentous injury because you know, they attach to bone. So if you see a ligamentous injury and you see a bone that's out of place, but not fractured, yeah. you can say, I can see right there. Here's your problem. All right. So now we've kind of walked through
0: the, 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 the process of what I call the, the basic one Oh one of sports medicine, which is what do you do when you get an initial injury? When should you go to a doctor versus not go to a doctor? What should you expect to happen when you do go to the doctor? Now I want to talk a little bit about the prevention side. Um, So something I'm horrible at is preventing sports injuries. I I think you're going to probably say the S word um, at some point in this uh, uh, conversation. So I guess I'll let you take it from there. How can we prevent sports injuries from happening? stretching
1: <laughs> is that the s word you're looking for That was the one <laughs> i mean and that's the thing and i my favorite is when i talk to a patient and i say all right they said i went out for this 45 minute run i said okay and then my hamstring started hurting and i ask him well how long did you stretch for they're like, I pulled up my leg a little bit. I sat, you know, put foot to foot, pushed my knees down. You know, the kind of stuff you did, you know, in 1950s, you know, videos that they showed us for calisthenics. All right. That doesn't work. You really got to stretch. Sure. And then you have to have good shoes. You have to, you know, there's a lot that goes into being an athlete these days. Yeah. Whether you're a weekend warrior or an elite athlete. And so I think stretching. Okay. You know good health. I mean, if you don't, if you're not cardiovascularly fit, don't do something that's out of your wheelhouse. So I think you got to stay in shape. Now, at the same time, there's patient and there's probably people listening right now and says, well, maybe I'm out of shape and I don't want, and he's saying that I can't do this. No, you can, but pace yourself, start slow, work your way up, set goals and go forward. So I think goals are important in sports medicine because I think many times, just like in your case, your mid-30s, and somebody told you, hey, let's go play this sport that I've never played before and put you out with a bunch of guys that were already playing it, you kind of set yourself up for disaster. It would have been better if I wasn't also the worst player on the team. Fair enough. <laughs> but I think that's the point, is is know, know your limits. Right. But push your limits. Of course. And I think that's where you're going to persevere and you're going to become a better athlete and more healthy and be happier with yourself.
0: Do you find people are coming to see you um, not just because of sports injuries, but also do you find that you have a population of patients that come to see you because they're thinking about maybe playing a sport or they're thinking about getting into
1: something and they want some some proactive prescription advice? I, I, do, I have seen that. It's yeah. not you know, a big part of my practice, right. but
0: I, I love those patients. Maybe they had an injury once upon a time and they right. want to do something again and they're like, okay, I don't want that to
1: happen again. Absolutely. Yeah. The the ones I see that the most, believe it or not, are the military. Okay. You know, they've been hurt in the past and they want, they're want they in the military or want to join the military and they're like, what do I need to do to okay. get to that? I want to kind of jump topics a little bit now and, and get
0: into some other stuff. This is kind of the, the, the potpourri of sports medicine. Um, and I know just from knowing you and from talking to you about things in the past, I know that one of your real interests is in shoulder medicine. So I'm going to kind of give you the the mic to talk about what's hot right now in shoulders. And, and I know you're going to be jumping on a plane real soon and going to a shoulder conference. So what, what kind of stuff
1: is going on in your world? You know, it's shoulders interesting because it's one of the few joints that really has six degrees of freedom. It can go in pretty much every direction and it is essentially an unstable joint and what stabilizes the joint is the ligaments the muscles the tendons and and so when you look at the at shoulder there's a lot of places that can go wrong so that's where i think i'm challenged by it and mm-hmm. i'm intrigued by it i myself just had surgery on mine eight weeks ago so now i'm also in the patient i'm wearing a patient hat not just a doctor hat and you're not in a sling so no i'm out of it already good for you yeah so i'm pretty excited about that but I think where I get excited about shoulders, there's a lot of things that I can do there. I can do anything from a younger patient where they have a labral injury from sure. a dislocation, and I can fix that, and get them back to the sports that they choose. As far as having unstable shoulders that are chronically unstable and doing interesting procedures like what we call a coracoid transfer, mm-hmm. um, and I spent about six months really perfecting that procedure because I do it arthroscopically, and I'm probably one of a handful in the U.S. that do it that way. Wow. And so that's kind of been my, you know, climb to the top of the mountain. So that's the one I'm really proud of. Now I go as far as towards the end of the life of a shoulder and replacement and getting, you know, that chronic pain patient that has very limited range of motion, very limited function, and then replace that shoulder and give them their range of motion, their function, and most importantly, make them pain-free. So it's that joint for me that I fix that I can do from the beginning to end. And that's exciting because that's a huge population of patients from all over the place, and it's exciting to meet those people. Oh, absolutely. I, I want
0: to key in on on, on pain-free because uh, that is a, a sort of a buzzy idea right now, right, with... Um, the opioid epidemic that's going on, and, and uh, you know, we want to do everything we can as doctors to, to not hook patients. And sports medicine injuries is a pretty easy way for people to get into opioids. It's probably, I, I don't know this for a fact, but I have to believe it's one of the biggest ways people end up getting into opioids. Um, are there anything that's, or things that are going on right now in sports
1: medicine that we're doing to sort of challenge the opioid epidemic? Well, I think there's multiple things we can do. I think we start by prescribing in the clinic an anti-inflammatory or possibly some type of other non-narcotic pill for the patient versus just... Don't jump right into it. Yeah. You know, shotgun right here. I'm going to write you yep. a script and there there it is. And next thing you know, that patient has the script, maybe uses one or two or three, but has this sitting in a in their cupboard. And whether they take it, their children take it, somebody else takes it, who knows. And so I think... When we do write those, write for less, and then I think we need to communicate with patients because I think an educated patient is a better patient, mm-hmm. and they need to understand the consequences of taking these types of medications, and sometimes they don't. Yeah. So interestingly enough, this morning I did two surgeries, and they're the first two in the state of Michigan where we actually used a long-lasting nerve block that will last for anywhere between 72 and 96 hours to help with the pain relief, which gets them through the first few days, which are the worst few days. Of course. And what we're seeing already, it just was FDA approved a week ago. And in the small group of my colleagues that already have started, we're seeing almost no narcotic use in that first week, right. even after big surgeries like ACL reconstructions, rotator cuff repairs, shoulder replacements. So that's pretty exciting already. Wow! And so that's on us. And so that's what I can do besides educating. And so we talked to the anesthesiologists and, and get them on board. Ironically, the two people that I did this morning were both firefighters. Mm-hmm. So when I came up to them and I said, I want to do this, what do you think? They're like, absolutely. And For one, sure. of, one of them had a story that last week was seeing an 80-year-old who had just had a hip replacement and was on the ground because she took too many of her narcotics. Hmm. And so there is no age, Mm -hmm. there is no sex, there is no whatever type of who's the person that's going to get this. Anybody can get this. That sounds really uh, like a great opportunity to get
0: people away from, like you said, the first three, four days post-op, which is when most people are gobbling up those
1: pain medications. Absolutely, and I would challenge patients to look for doctors out there that want to be opioid-sparing because we're out there. And I think, you know, we're not saying we're not going to give you any if you need it, but we're also going to be very careful to not do something that is unnecessary.
0: Well, and not to get too, too in the health policy weeds, it's also getting more and more challenging for doctors to prescribe narcotics to patients. Patients may need them, they may want them, but it's getting harder and harder for your doctor to give you a prescription for narcotics. They're they're limited on how many numbers of days they can give you, the number Absolutely. of pills they can give you. So this is exciting that this is an opportunity to to get away from all that business. Speaking of of um, narcotics sparing or opioid sparing medications. Um, let's talk about joint injections for a minute, because I know this is something that that you guys do a lot of—the bread and butter practice. of you know making you feel better before surgery. So I, I hear stories all the time, buddies of mine, um, maybe you know an athlete who who uh, you know tweaked his knee, got a steroid injection in his knee, now he's running a four three forty. You know, where's the science on this? Is this a good thing? Neutral thing? Talk about it.
1: So I, I think depends, and so for me. I think a steroid shot is very helpful for a patient if they have inflammation or what we call synovitis. The lining of the knee is irritated. Sometimes it might be a mechanical problem like a meniscus tear and patient is in season and can't have surgery right now or a patient isn't as healthy and can't have a surgery. A steroid is a great place to start. It's kind of like the anti-inflammatory sure. but in an injection Directly form.
0: bathing that joint in an Correct. anti-inflammatory, sure.
1: Correct. Now, we don't want to use too many of those because some of these – uh, some of the numbing medicine that we use can actually beat up the cartilage. Okay. The steroids can actually beat up some of the tendons, so y- you got to be careful. So if your doctor is giving you shot after shot after shot, that's not actually a great thing. There, you got to take care of the problem at some point. Okay. Now, when we start getting further along in the cascade of let's talk about arthritis, we're going to talk about you know visco supplementation or the, what many people know as the chicken shots, the lubricating shots. There's a million different you know synonyms for it. And those actually have done very well. And over the last couple of years, they've gotten some bad publicity by, unfortunately, the Orthopedic Surgery Academy. And unfortunately, insurance carriers, as soon as they see that, say, we're going to stop paying for those. Well, the good news is some of them that initially said that they were going to stop are going to keep paying for them, at least for now. So this is great because most cases, their insurance will cover it. for. So these patients that are listening right now, this is an opportunity for them. Now, those work to a point, okay. And at some point, you're either left with do something or do nothing, as I tell my patients. And if do nothing it means ride it out, and do something might be a replacement. Yep. And so that's where the decision making process goes. And you know, I get probably five to ten calls a week about stem cells. And although you know it's very controversial right now because there's really not a lot of data anecdotally, when you look at some of these patients, they do pretty well. But I have a hard time looking at a patient saying it's going to cost you anywhere between $5,000 and 7500 out of your pocket. And I can't back it up and say, and I'm going to give you a percentage of this is how well it's going to do. Good point. Uh, and, and I definitely am a fan of science. So
0: I, um, you know, as a, as a- patient myself as a as a physician i always try to go where the science is and i know i think that stem cells could be based on the limited amount of reading i've done it could be a great thing I, it sounds like we're really just kind of waiting for science to, to to catch up a little bit right i
1: couldn't agree more i think there's definitely a positive to it okay but like i try to explain it to my patients it's like a recipe If I have a knee injury, my recipe should be this. If I have a shoulder injury, my recipe should be that so much of this, so much of that, a dash of this, and we're going to be feeling good. Problem is we don't know that and we don't have any way to know that until the data comes back. So when somebody says, does it work? The answer is yes. Okay. But, to what extent and for how long and do I know all the science behind it the answer is no gotcha Uh,
0: the next one I want to ask about is something so I I stay up late sometimes because I I can't always uh, sleep well at night and I watch uh, uh, cable news and I see infomercials come on talking about um, copper and magnets and all kinds of funky stuff that people are putting in their clothes and it makes them feel great what do you know about copper and magnets well they're
1: on the periodic table Um, (laughs) but it really, what it comes down to is there's a lot of things that you can go to the corner pharmacy and get to try as a first line of defense. I mean, it's all about ions. It's saying that if I pull some ions out of the muscle or the skin or whatever, it's going to help with you know, this, that, or the other. The question is, does it really? I'm not going to say that certain things don't work. Right. Acupuncture, Eastern medicine. It, there's science there. There's definitely science there. Yeah. And so just because we've been doing something for a few hundred years shouldn't mean that Things that have been done for a few thousand years don't make sense. I think we just need to figure it out. Good point. Good point. Grass or turf? Doesn't matter these days. If you go back to the old grass, or excuse me, the old turf, the little short stuff that was a little plastic stuff, that was, it it grabbed a cleat too much. And that's why people would blow out their knees or ankles or whatever. Um, The new stuff that's out there with the broken down tires, it, it has a lot more give and it's a lot more like natural grass. So there is really no difference these days. Wow. Personally, I would like to play on grass because there's a lot more give. You can make a divot in it when you're running and you cut. Your, your leg's not going to get stuck. But So my personal preference is still grass.
0: Let's talk about back injuries for, for one quick second. Um, I hear more and more people, friends of mine, family members of mine, um, it, it's not uncommon if you're active, you know, you're going to hurt your back. And... I, I know from listening to friends that a lot of them are going to see chiropractors now, and a lot of them are getting genuine relief. They feel great. Um, I guess the question I want to know or I want to explore a little bit is, is this a good thing that people are going to see chiropractors for back injuries? Is it a bad thing? Is it a neutral thing? What are your thoughts?
1: I think that there are definite advantages to utilizing all the different options that you have. If you start with a spine surgeon, depending on who you see, they might say surgery. Doesn't mean they have to. If you see a chiropractor, however, they might say you need to have this alignment done yeah, week in, week out for months and months and years and years when you need more than that. So I think you gotta balance it out by understanding what you're getting into. So if you have an acute type malalignment type injury, sure. a chiropractor's gonna do great getting those muscles back in line, getting the vertebrae back in line. But if it's going on for weeks and you're not getting any better, then I think maybe the next step is to do something else. Going back to our original conversation about x-rays, I think it's paramount that you start there because I wouldn't want somebody to start manipulating my back unless they know and can confirm that there's no fracture or there's nothing else going on that's obvious because I think that's where maybe that chiropractor says, wait a second, I took this x-ray. Something looks funny here. You need to see the spine surgeon.
0: Right. That makes good sense. I think it would also be important to point out right now that just like not all doctors are created equal, I'm sure not all chiropractors are created equal. I'm sure there's some very good, well-meaning chiropractors that really genuinely do phenomenal work. Mm -hmm. Just like I'm sure there's probably some doctors that do less than fine work.
1: I couldn't agree more. Okay. Fair point.
0: Sharif you've been a great guest and I thank you for coming on the podcast. Um, that's about all we got time for today. I want to thank Dr. Bechet for coming on. Always nice to chat with you.
1: Absolutely. I appreciate you
0: having me on. I should um, also mention the, that my co-host, uh, Dr. Asha Shahjahan, and I are working uh, on future Beaumont House Call Podcast. We're going to explore lots and lots of other topics in the future, including uh, an innovative cancer treatment um, through proton technology. We're also looking for uh, smarter ways for people to help uh, manage their diabetes. Um, Dr. Shahjahan is going to talk about the loneliness epidemic in a future podcast, uh, which is something that affects lives uh, of more people than one would think. Um, I also want to remind you to send along any questions or suggestions that you have to podcast at Beaumont.org. In a future podcast, Dr. Shah Jahan and I will answer our mailbag. And with that, I will leave you with today's healthy thought. Being active is an incredibly important part of your overall health and wellness, and injuries are bound to happen as we become more and more active. Knowing how to prevent and manage sports-related injuries with the help of your doctor is a valuable tool that will keep you moving well into your later years.
1: Thank you.